It's time for us to, to jump into part seven of our Reflecting the Light series. And I, this one is, I, I called it, I, I really struggle. I struggle with the naming of these different messages because I want to make sure that the name reflects the point of the message. And I struggle with this. I, I called it avoiding the jealousy trap. It's much broader than that. But then the, at the very heart of this, this is something that, that is easy for us to fall into. So this Reflecting the Light series, this is out of the book of John. Last year, we talked about being disciples who are disciple makers, meaning that our lives, that we were called to make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's our job as Christians. That's our mandate. The only people that are exempt from that are people that don't follow Christ. Everybody that calls Christ their Savior, our job is to do everything we can to make disciples. Now, that doesn't mean we have a group of people that follow along with us and that we sit down as teacher. That means that our lives, that we're doing everything we can to draw people to Him. And so this year, we're talking about learning to love and lead like Jesus. And that's why we stepped into the book of John. And in the very first week, it's where the name of this series came out of. In the very first week, we found out that Jesus is the light of the world, that the world is in darkness without him, and that he's that light. And we're to reflect that light. That it is to bounce off of us and go out to the people that are around us. A reflection of that light that comes out of John 1. And so... Everything that we're talking about throughout this series, and really an underlying theme throughout this year, is about how our lives reflect Jesus to the world around us. That's part of our disciple-making process. We're reflecting Him. Jesus, the Savior, the Creator, the most amazing God. He saved us from so much. If Jesus has changed your life, don't you want those around you? Don't you want those that you care for and everyone to know that? We learned in John 3, 16 that he came for all of us, not to judge us, but to save us. The word already judges us. The law already judges us. We're guilty. But Jesus came to save us out of that. When we put our faith and our trust in him, we are to reflect him. So today we're going to take one more look at John the Baptist. We're still in chapter 3 of John. We're going to be at the end of chapter 3, looking at verses 22 through 36. Again, we're going back. This is early on in John the Baptist's ministry. And we can learn a lot from this passage with John the Baptist. Again, I want to remind you, if you haven't been with us through this whole series, you can always go back on YouTube and, and watch the entire series. And I encourage you to do that. Share it with friends. Man, if you think what we're doing, the words that we're speaking, share it with others. They're always there on YouTube, and you can go back and find any of the messages that are there. We would love for you to use that as a resource for you to make disciples. But with that, John the Baptist is not the writer of this. The writer of this is John, one of the closest disciples to Jesus. It says he is the one, one of the ones that Jesus loved. And, and John writes this from a perspective that he wants people to understand the divinity of Jesus, that he is truly God, not just a prophet and a man, but truly God. 
And so he writes from that perspective, and he has some things that are different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are the other Gospels. There's four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, known as the Gospels. They're the ones that wrote about the life of Jesus, the things that he did, said. All of that is compiled in what's known as the Gospels, first four books of the New Testament. John writes from a completely different perspective and format than the other three. The other three kind of follow similar formats, but from a different perspective. John highlights things and says things and does things completely different. He doesn't do it in timeline order, but kind of hits these points that he wants to get across. So we're going to look at John 3, 22 through 36. It's going to focus on John the Baptist here a little bit. So let's look at verse 22. So then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went out into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. And this, at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon, near Salem, because there was plenty of water there and the people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies by what he's seen and heard and how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands, and anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. This story takes place very early on in Jesus' ministry. We know this because John the Baptist was thrown into prison and eventually executed very early in Jesus' ministry. So we know that this actually... But we believe that this happened before Jesus really started his public ministry, before he turns water into wine and those things. This is very early on. He's already got disciples with him, but it's still in the very early stages. So we want to talk about this. John had become very popular. He had the Spirit of God upon him. People were coming to him, lining up to be baptized by him. And if you remember from the very first week, I talked about how unusual it was for Jews to be baptized in this way. There was ceremonial cleansing, but this was a baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. And it was happening in a way that was not normal. John was doing things and drawing people back to God. You got to remember, this was a period 
There was 400 years between the last prophet in the Old Testament and to the writing of the New Testament. That's a big gap. And so there wasn't a prophet in the land for that, for that period of time. And so people had kind of lost sight of who God was. They still went to the temple. They still worshiped and sacrificed. But they had lost some of the fervency. They would lost some of the expectation, some of the understanding. They hadn't seen a prophet. And here comes John the Baptist. And he's doing and saying things that are out of the ordinary. And it got people's attention. He became very popular. And we even know that Jesus came to John to be baptized, not because he needed to be forgiven of sins, but it was prophesied that he would do that. And that is when the Holy Spirit sends the dove down upon Jesus. And the Holy Spirit already told John this was going to happen. He didn't know who it was. He didn't know who that Messiah was going to be, but he said, the one that I'd send the Holy Spirit on in the form of a dove, he is the one. And so John baptizes Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit descends upon him, and God speaks his pleasure about this. And so John was there, and that was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So there are a few things that I want us to learn from this passage. The first thing is this. John knew his purpose. We talked about this with him, uh, I think it was the second or third week of this message. We talked about John the Baptist. He stayed in his lane. He was hyper-focused on the mission that God had given him. Or if you've seen horses that are guided, they have blinders on so they can't get distracted by the things on the sides. John was hyper-focused on the mission that God had given him. So what was John's purpose? It was really twofold. The first was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And if you look at verse 27, he talks about this. It said that John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. And then verse 28 says, You know yourselves how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. Here's his purpose. I am only here to prepare the way for him. So that's verses 27 and 28. I am not the Messiah. I am here to prepare the way for him. John knew that his purpose from a very young age was to turn people's hearts back to God and get them ready to receive the Messiah. Remember, it had been hundreds of years before since there had been a prophet. Think about this for a minute. As time progresses, if you don't have something before you, you begin to lose a little bit of that. You begin to forget. We see it throughout the Old Testament. If you were to read the Old Testament, God would do something amazing. And then it was within the next 30, 40 years, those that came, the generations that came after, began to forget what God had done. That's why I instituted celebrations and things, to remind the people of what was done in those occasions and what God had done. Because we're quick to forget. We move on. Other things happen and then we forget. That's why it's so important that we read the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we gather together for worship. Because if we don't keep God's Word constantly before us, if we aren't worshiping together, we start to forget. And the Jews had begun to forget. I mean, 400 years, some of them didn't even have a reference other than they knew they went to the temple. It's just what they did. But their hearts were not ready. They were not in the right place. 
Now, there's always been a remnant. Scripture's always talked about there's a small group that are truly following God, and that was still there. But by and large, the majority weren't looking for the Messiah. They didn't realize even what was happening. They had just kind of gotten into culture. So John's first purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. The second thing was to reveal the Messiah. And I'm going to go back to John 1. And I want to read that passage. It's verses 29 through 34 of John 1. We already read this, I think it was the second or third week. But I want you to hear this because it gives that purpose of John. It says in verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one that I talked about when I said, A man is coming after me who is greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So he was sent to prepare the way, but that was the first step. The second step was to reveal. God gave him very specifically what to look for. He was baptizing, doing this very strange, out-of-the-ordinary thing, to reveal Jesus to those that were around him, say to say, hey, here is the chosen one of God. And from a very early age, John was set apart. If you go back and look in Luke, it really gives his history in Luke. And we're going to, if you want to, turn over to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 11 through 17 because I want you to understand a little bit of the background of John and where he came out of and how he got to the place that he was. He was set apart from the Lord at a very early age and did not deviate from that path. Look at what Luke 1 tells us about the conception and birth of John. It says in verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, this is John's father, he was in the sanctuary, the Lord appeared to him. Now what you need to know about this is Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were old. They were past the childbearing years. God likes to do the impossible, what we think is impossible. He likes to take things that are out of the ordinary and do extraordinary things with them. And so he took Zechariah, and Zechariah was working in the temple in the sanctuary. He was part of the, the, the priest. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or drink alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. 
John learned at an early age to listen to the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Actually, it says because Jesus' mother, Mary, was a cousin of Elizabeth, and Mary went to Elizabeth. Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary went to her after she had found out that she was carrying the Savior, the, that immaculate conception. Because remember, Mary was a virgin, and an angel visited her, told her all these things. So she went and visited Elizabeth, and the minute she walked in and greeted Elizabeth, John jumped inside the womb. The Holy Spirit let him know that the Messiah was nearby, that his purpose was nearby. His job was to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming Messiah, to reveal him to the word, the world. One thing to keep in mind in all of this, that it had been that, that those hundreds of years, just remember that. I want you to understand the context behind that, how miraculous all of these events are happening. The things that God lined up to show that it was him that was doing this, that it was not manufactured by man's thoughts, that people weren't just putting pieces together and saying, hey, look, but this was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit to make these things happen. John was part of the plan to turn the hearts of the people back to God and to reveal the Messiah to him. So that was the first part. He stayed in his lane. He was focused on that. That's important because the second point is he didn't fall into the human trap, which is kind of the crux in the middle of this, this human trap. What am I talking about? What do I mean by human trap? I want you to look at verse 26 of chapter 3 again. It says, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people. And here's the line I want you to get. And it says, and everybody is going to him instead of us. Do you get that? Everybody's going to him instead of us. That's that human trap. His disciples, his followers, these, these People that were following him and seeing the great things that he, were, he was doing, all the people that were coming to be baptized and turning from their sins. John had been elevated to a place of greatness because of the Holy Spirit inside of him, because he was focused on his purpose that he was supposed to do. Now Jesus has come. John even said, man, look, the Lamb of God. John pointed people to him. Jesus has come, but his disciples, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. We're going to be out of a job here. We're losing popularity. This Jesus guy, doesn't it concern you that all the people that were following us, all the people that were coming to us are now going to him? Think about that from a business standpoint or from a world standpoint. We start to, when we get so wrapped up in what people think about us and that people are coming to us and, and our head begins to expand in that way, when we get off purpose, when we start looking at ourselves, then somebody comes along and, and they're getting the attention. And we get jealous. That's when bitterness creeps in and we're like, well, wait a minute, whoa, 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 they're going over there, why aren't they coming to us anymore? 
It's a trap that we fall into. See, John's disciples didn't understand the bigger picture. And so when people started to go to Jesus, they fell into that comparison trap. Man, John, look at Jesus. What, what's up? We got we to change our marketing, man. We need to get out there and, and market ourselves a little bit better. We need to make sure that people are coming to us. They felt threatened. They felt jealous. Maybe you've dealt with that in your own life. Maybe somebody you're at work and, and maybe at work you came in and things were popping and you're getting pats on the back, you're getting promotions and then new guy comes along or gal comes along and and all of a sudden they're being elevated and people are talking about them and they're getting pats on the back and they're getting promotions. And you feel like, man, I'm being overlooked. You become jealous, you become bitter. It's a common trap. Plays to our pride and our ego. Yeah, our pride, our ego. It's at the very core and heart of selfishness, you know, and sin. At the very heart of sin is selfishness because it becomes all about us. And not all about our mission, but all about us. Man, that breaks the heart of God. It, it, it tears apart churches. I had the opportunity to, I was at the Kennesaw Business Association this past week, and uh, Brian Dodd was the guest speaker. And he said something, he was talking about leadership, and he said the greatest, one of the greatest leaders of all time was King David. And... The whole point of his message, and I'm just going to get to the opening of it, was he was talking about the time period that King David lived in. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament story and you're familiar with King David, he was the greatest king that lived prior to Christ's coming. I mean, it's phenomenal. But when he was the second king of Israel, the first king was King Saul. And in biblical, in those, in those old times, in, in the biblical times, when David lived, the way that a king dealt with this upcoming person, this person who was starting to get attention and accolades, and if you read the story, David killed Goliath. David went out and became a great military leader, and people were singing songs about David. He was becoming the next big guy, and that, that threatened Saul. Saul's, Saul was a, an insecure leader. And so what did Saul try to do? He tried to kill David. That's the way you eliminated your threat. You just tried to kill him. He threw spears at him and all these other things. We don't live in a time where, and, and we, we can get into that whole story of David and Saul and, and, and really the, the heart that David had and how he led and why he was known as a man after God's own heart. There's a lot there we don't have time to get into today. It's not even the point. When David lived, the way you eliminated a threat, those people that were getting too much power, is what you, you killed them. You just wiped them out. We live in a little different time. I think we do something that's actually much worse. We kill their character. We kill their, their reputation. We slander them in social media. We gossip about them and we tear them down in their reputation. Think about the political campaigns. Man, it's just smear campaigns. I, I hate it. I hate the politics of our country. I'll be honest. It wears me out when we, we're getting close to an election 
and you have all of these voices come in from either side, and, and I pray, and I study, and I do those things, but people just undercut each other and, and try to dig up all this stuff, and it just becomes this slander side of things, and, and that's what we do. We, we use things like social media to tear down other people. And unfortunately, we've had some leaders at the highest levels use social media to do that very thing, and it, and it, it degrades, it, it tears down the quality of leadership. It's a trap that we fall into. John's followers were starting to fall into that trap. They're like, John, look, Jesus is getting attention. What are we going to do about this? We don't know how far they went into that. We don't know if there was bitterness or anger. We don't know all those things. I've been around people long enough. I've been around churches long enough to think, you know, there was probably some people that did. There's some, probably some people that got fed up and walked away. There was probably gossip and things that were happening in there. I, I, they were humans. It's a human trap that, that Satan has been very good at deceiving us in this way, about getting us off task and off focus through us feeling like we've been lessened because somebody else was being raised up. And we live in a culture that it has to be fair and it has to be just. If Man, if, I, if, if Larry's got five things, I need to have five things. Which isn't how the world works. And, and, and quite honestly... That's not how life is. God works in us all differently and we're all unique in our own ways and we have gifts and talents and, and things that, are, that, are, that God has poured into us. But when we let pride and we start to hold on to those things and, and get in the way, we lose sight of what God's called us to do. The followers, John, fell in that trap, but, but John himself did not. And in fact, John did the one thing that could keep us from falling into that trap, or if we've fallen into it, to help us to get out of it. And that comes to my third point today. Is he rejoiced in the success of others? Or he rejoiced in the success of Jesus, really, but in this case, for us, for our practical purposes... We rejoice in the success of others or in others' success. Look at verses 27 through 29 of John chapter 3 again. Verse 27 says this, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. First John understood this. Everything came from heaven. It was given to us. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for Him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, look at this, you underline this sentence, I am filled with joy at his success. He must grow greater and greater, and I must become less and less. See, here's the thing. We're really good at saying that about Jesus. Man, we've got to make Jesus greater and greater. Now, I, I'm going to come less and less, and it becomes a, a catchphrase or a, a thing. But this is true not only in Jesus' case, but if you look at this from, if you want to 
avoid the trap of jealousy and pride, celebrate the success of those that are around you. Lift up those that are around you. Even those people that you're working with, and man, if they get a promotion, go over there, celebrate them, give them a hand clap, man, go. That is how we avoid that. When we genuinely, don't do it to patronize, don't do it, but come to a place where you're so secure in who you are in Him, that you know your purpose and your plan, and that if we are moving towards the same goal and purpose, it can be in our work life, but in that life of drawing people to Jesus, when we see people succeed, we need to celebrate that, not be jealous because God didn't choose me to do that. Or the people that I work with didn't choose me to do that. You know, when you celebrate other people, when you become that kind of leader and that kind of person, you will naturally attract people around you because people want to be around those that are encouraging. They want to be around those that lift others up. And for some of us, that's really hard. It's hard. It's against my personality. I grew up in a very negative environment. And so I grew up in an environment that it was natural to tear people down and I wasn't so good at lifting people up and I still struggle with that today. But if you want to avoid this trap, you've got to lift up those that are around you. Because when you're celebrating others' success, when you're encouraging others to succeed, you can't get into that trap of jealousy. You won't because you'll find joy in the success of others and seeing other people succeed. John knew his purpose. When we know our purpose and we're focused on it, as believers, we'll get down to this, we'll we'll take it back home spiritually. As believers, our purpose is to make disciples. It's what God's called us to do. We are disciples. If you're a believer, you're a disciple. Don't, Don't check out, don't say, I prayed a prayer, I just go to church, I'm a church attender. But I'm not a disciple maker. That's somebody else's job. That's why I pay the pastor. That's why we pay all these professionals to do that. No, that is exactly wrong. If that's what you believe, if that's what you're looking for, if you believe my purpose as your pastor is to go make disciples while you sit in church, then you are absolutely wrong. And I'm not the right pastor for you. My job, according to the Word of God, as pastor, out of the book of Ephesians, is to equip you to go and make disciples. That's my job. I don't do it well all the time, but that's my job. That's why I'm sharing these messages, to equip you. Now, I've got to make disciples as well. I'm not, I'm not just the equipper. I'm also the doer. I do strive to go and make disciples. But my job as pastor, as leader in this, is I'm, I'm the chief follower of Christ. I want to build relationships. I don't say that lightly. Our purpose... is to make disciples. And the best way we can fight the the temptation of jealousy and bitterness and all of those things is to celebrate others as they succeed. 
man, if you see somebody building a small group and drawing people to God, celebrate it. Give them a hand clap. Join in. Learn from them. Celebrate the fo- When we celebrate other success, it takes the focus off of us. James puts it this way. I love the book of James. We just did a series in the book of James not too long ago. James 3, 13 through 18 says this, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by, with boasting and lying, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom that from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and, and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Man, that, that's it. When we live in humility and genuinely want people to succeed, my goal is your pastor, as the one that's to equip you, I want to see you make three times as many disciples as I ever could make. I want to see you be successful in the mission that God has given you. You have a unique set of gifts. You have a unique set of talents. And God gave you those because He knows that you can reach certain people that I never can. That by your personality and who you are, You have an opportunity to reflect the light of Jesus in lives that I will never touch. Not in the same way that you can. I can deliver messages. I can inspire and I can share. I can get to know different people, but each one of us as individuals are disciples who are making disciples by the way we live. When we let bitterness and jealousy get in the way, when we get focused on what other people are doing and maybe the accolades that other people are getting, then we're focused on us. I'm focused on me. I'm not focused on what God's called me to do. And that's when that creeps in. That's that trap that we so easily fall into. So I want to wrap this up today. I want to, I want to leave you with all of this. See, the, the amazing thing about John's story is, yes, he was filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. Now, that's pretty, it's pretty awesome. There were some extraordinary things about the birth of John. He was set apart. But I want to remind you of something. John was human. He had to choose to live for God. He had to choose to allow the Holy Spirit into his life, to follow the Holy Spirit, to learn the Holy Spirit. John made those choices. Those were still his choices to make. And, and, and through that process, we don't know much about his childhood. We know he was the son of a priest. We know that he was set apart at a very young age. So he was trained that way. But he still had to make those choices. 
And he lived a very unique life full of the Holy Spirit. And he followed the plan that God had for him. Each of us have been blessed by God with certain talents and abilities. And I want to I want to close with this story. It's out of Scripture. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. It's a very long passage. But it's out of Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. I'm going to kind of condense it for the sake of time. But you may know this story as the parable of the talents. And so there's this master. He's going going away on a long trip. And he calls three of his servants in. And he gives each of them a certain amount of money or talents. He has the first one five talents, the second one two, and the third one one. I want you to notice something here. Remember I said that God doesn't give everything the same to everybody. We're not all given the same gifts. We're not all given the same talents. We're, we're, we're all different. And some, some of the passages, some of the versions say have given according to their abilities. They all have different abilities to do different things. But the master said, hey, take this, use this, take care of things for me while I'm gone. So the one with five talents took and used what he was given and doubled it. Now he had 10 talents. The guy that was given two doubled what he was given. Now he's got four. But the one that had one, he did something he was afraid. He knew that the master was a difficult person. He knew that he gets angry when things don't go well. And so what did he do? He took it and buried it out of fear. Hey, look, I don't want to lose this. So I'm just going to bury it over here so I don't lose it. He thinks he's doing a safe and wise thing, but he's not doing what the master asked him to do. He's burying it. That's what some of us do with the talents that God's given us. Ooh, look, I don't want to fail God, so I'm not going to do anything. Man, God doesn't care if you fail. He just wants you to do. He wants you to take what he's been given and do something with it. And when we let God work in us, yeah, we may fail from time to time. We may miss it from time to time, but God's blessings will always be upon us and He'll always supply more. That's a side note. In this story, when Jesus explains this story, He said he, he used this to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said the master came back and he goes to his three servants and he says, hey, let's give an account of what you've done. So the first one comes in, man, I... I I, get, I'm, I took your five, and now I've got ten. Here's your, here's your money. Man, well done. Well done. Give him twice as much more. Give him more than what he made. Celebrate him. Next one comes in, same thing. Man, here's the two you gave me. Now you got four. Man, pats him on the back. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Give him double. He was saying, what you, when you've been trusted with little, you'll be given more. When you're faithful with what you've been given, you'll be given more. But then the last servant comes in, and this is the part I want you to really hear. What'd you do with what I gave you? Well, you see, you know, here's what happened. I knew you were kind of a difficult person. I knew that you get really upset when when things don't go well and I want to lose your money. So I buried it. Here's the one that you gave me back. And the master said, you lazy servant. You could at least put it in the bank and I could have got interest off of it. But I'm not making anything if you bury it in the ground. Man, get out of here. Actually, Scripture illustrates it this way, that that he told them to cast the servant out to where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
illustration that God's given us is that when we don't use what God's given us, it won't go well for us. We can't just sit. We weren't called to be Christians that sit, that hear messages that become spiritually fat, where it becomes all about me hearing these great messages. Man, if we're not taking what we've been given and doing something with it, we're no different than the person that takes the talent and buries it. Even if we fail, even if we fail, it's better to fail working towards following Christ and maybe make some missteps. And, and, and God's always there to, I, I look at it this way, I see God in this way, in this instance. He's like the father with a toddler that's trying to learn to walk and he stumbles and he falls, but yet he's got his arms out. Keep coming, keep coming, you can do it. Celebrating every step that he takes. That's the way I see God. That's what he is with us. We're gonna stumble, we're gonna fall, we're gonna fall flat on our face. We're gonna get hurt from time to time. He's like, keep coming, keep going. But when we bury what we've been given, we become an invalid that's wasting what God's given us. We're not fulfilling our mission. We're not focused on following Him. I'm not saying all this to put pressure on you to get it just right. Man, if you are following the Word of God, if you're studying the Word of God, and you're asking the Holy Spirit daily to give you wisdom, to give you opportunities, those things will happen. And your unique gifts and your unique talents, God will give you the inspiration and creativity to do that. There's no pressure to figure that out. He will show you. You just have to be willing to go. Don't fall into the trap of seeing what other people are doing. Look, it'd be easy to do. I've fallen into that trap. I look at other churches and other pastors and I'm like, God, why isn't that happening here? I'm following you. But God says, stay in your lane. You're doing exactly what I've asked you to do. Keep coming. Keep digging. Man, celebrate. That's what I want for you today. Know your purpose. Your purpose is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That's our first purpose. we got to dig into our relationship with God. The second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in doing that, we're going to be disciples that are disciple makers. We're going to reflect the light well. The second thing is just guard your heart from the traps of the enemy. Allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life today. Learn to hear His voice and celebrate the success of others. Because look, when other people are successful in ministry, when they're successful in making disciples, the kingdom of heaven is expanding. Our brothers and sisters are expanding. And that brings joy to the heart of God. That's my challenge for you today. I want to pray over you today. I want you to, to focus in on, man, if there is jealousy in my heart, let's get that out today. Confess it before Him and He is faithful to, to forgive. And then ask God to fill you with His Spirit and to help you to take steps forward and be in the disciple-makers that reflect the light of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. 
And Lord, we ask right now that you'd forgive us for the jealousy and bitterness that is in our lives. Lord, we want to reflect you. And Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on those that are watching today. I pray that we would be disciple makers. Not that we would get caught up in what other people are doing, but that we would focus forward on you. That we would allow your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us today. Lord, I pray right now for each one that's listening, that they would learn to hear your voice, that they would have passion for your word. and that they would change the world around them by making disciples, by reflecting your light. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Again, if you need more time and prayer, chat's open for about 15 minutes. The host will be there. Click that prayer button. Let us pray with you today. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.